0: Your Bible, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? We're about to venture into a series before the summer schedule, and it's going to be on the one another commands throughout Scripture. And Before we venture out, let's pray. Father, we are so very thankful for you, for your word, for this day, for your grace toward us, and we praise you for it all. We ask even now that you would help us be merciful to us, guide us, and direct us. Open our eyes and our ears that we might see you and understand your ways and know you better. Grow us, for we look to you and we believe that you truly will be with us and work amongst us, for we are your people in Christ. Amen. Well, as we go through the series, uh, we're going to be exhorted and challenged in very specific ways, to reach out toward one another in love. And the whole point of this is that we would grow as a community that exemplifies the love of Christ that we ourselves have received. If you are here this morning and you know Christ and know His love, the point of that is that we would be transformed by His love and then turn towards one another and love one another. And throughout scriptures especially how Paul writes, he often lays out what it is that Christ has done for us, how God has loved us in Jesus. And he labors to show what has been done for us. And then he turns and he says, therefore, typically, and then he goes on to talk about what we're to do with one another as a result. And we're going to look at the one another's in scripture throughout this shorter series. And this one, this particular sermon is going to lay the foundation and it's going to address and deal with some issues that I think are very important for us to start upon. Kind of like building a house. It's nice to get into painting the walls and putting the furniture in, but if you took no time with the, with the foundation, it wouldn't be long and you wouldn't be enjoying those walls or that furniture as it fell in on you. Because the foundation's important, and likewise, we have to foundationally understand some things before we jump into that, and I think there's some issues that we, we need to deal with First. And these are really important matters, because I think as we go forward, we have to go forward with a certain understanding of how it is we do go forward. Because I think sometimes in the way we make progress, we fail because we don't understand how progress works, and we're, we, don't, we don't start with the right foundation. So let's, let's begin with the right foundation. And to start with, I want us to look at the church's nature, and the church's nature is is somewhat defined for us and somewhat revealed to us in First Corinthians chapter twelve. And when I say church's nature, what I'm talking about is what the church is about at its core. What what are we to be about? What is, what is it that defines the church? First Corinthians chapter twelve, beginning at verse twelve, puts it this way For just as the body, I mean the human body, is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one members but of many. And then if you jump down to verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And this whole section is arguing for both diversity and unity. But it's all based on one fact, the truth of this, that you are the body of Christ. And this particular truth about the church, who, what's the nature of the church? The church is, is this, the church is a body of Christ, or is the body of Christ. You see, see this presented in Ephesians, Colossians, and Romans where they all refer to the church as the body of Christ. Now, it's important to understand something about this. When he talks about it as the body of Christ, he's not using it metaphorically. Like, hey, isn't this cool? Just like your body, your body is one, and yet it has many separate, distinct members. He's, he's not using it in that way. He's saying, no, it is. It's not, it's not like. It is. The church is the body of Christ in which Jesus is the head, and we are the members of his body all brought together and united in baptism to one spirit and become a particular body. Yet it's not like our bodies. It's like our bodies, as he shows here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, but it's not like our bodies in some ways. We have a, a body with many members that are united as one and one person that has a one spirit dwelling in it. Christ has a body, and has many members that are one with his spirit dwelling in it. That's the church. And so we don't normally think, we don't think of people, individual, as one body, but that's how he wants us to begin thinking. You are one body. You're like an organism. You are society. You're a brand new body, a person, in a sense. But this gets lost today, I believe. This whole idea of us being this body of Christ gets lost today because of how we use language often. Today we use the word church and when we say church what do we typically mean? When you guys came here this morning did you come you came to church, right? We typically and so we get used to talking as the church as the building. Yet this isn't how the scriptures understand church and it's important that how we use language because it starts to define reality. But we've come to, to define the building as the church, and the people, we'll know if we're pressed, we talk about them as the, the church, we'll talk about them as the body of Christ, but we need to understand fundamentally that this is the church, the body of uh, people gathered. In the beginning, this word what's very significant is where this word church comes from. Because in the Greek, this word church is translated from ecclesia, or ecclesia, depends how you say it. And according to Gerhard Kittel who is per, probably the, the most brilliant and greatest authorities on Greek the Greek language in ancient times he said this is what this this word means this is what this word means in its simplest form the citizens are the ecclesia i.e. those who are summoned and called together by the herald in the classical period the ecclesia in the sense of a in the sense of a popular assembly, is not without a religious undertone in one of the main institutions of the divinely given polis and its order. Now, you heard this word polis. Now, what's that? That's another Greek word. And polis is the city, a, a term for the city. And, and in the ancient Greek times, this, is, this was used to describe the city as it was organized politically, religiously, and culturally. So everything about the city, it wasn't just saying the city of Linwood. When you use the word city, it referred to its culture, its political structure, its organization, its religious beliefs and view. This was the polis. And within it, this polis was gathered together and called and assembled by heralds. And these assemblies that were gathered and called together from the polis were were the ecclesia. So a herald would go throughout the city if it could be for religious reasons, it could be for political reasons, and it could be for cultural reasons or festivals. And the herald would call and declare and call them all, they'd all gather, the citizens would gather together, and that gathering together was the ecclesia. And so now, interestingly enough, in the scriptures, we see that this is what they call the church. This was an ecclesia. And so giving the name of the church, was quite, that name to the church, was quite significant. Because it meant that within the polis, or the city, there was a distinct and competing assembly being gathered that had a different set of religious, political, and cultural features. The church was being identified as a, a new society, a society of citizens within a society of, of citizens however it was distinct and different so when we look at these two particular ideas the name given to god's people the fact that they named the church these people this this gathering what do we call this gathering well this is an ecclesia a, an assembly within the city that re, that reflects its, has has its own political uh, religious and cultural structures to it and yet at the same time jesus says it's the body of it's my body it's the body of jesus we can, we can clearly see from the New Testament that this was not intended to be a club. Or simply something that you believe in, an idea. Here's an idea. Here, I have an idea for you. Let me present this idea to you. And do you believe the idea? Yes, I believe the idea. Okay, good. That's great. I'm glad you believe. And you go on your way. That was never the intention of it. The intention was for us to be united to him to Jesus and to his body the church which gathers together as a society called out from the world called into this people where he dwells king jesus dwells by the spirit and works and lives and ministers amongst us and this and and then this body you know the And this is what we're going to look at shortly here. This body, its number one mandate, the thing that it it does is love, and reflects the love of the kingdom of God. And this happens where it happens within the city. You have a distinct ecclesia within the within the polis, and the polis has 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 ecclesias of its own. But this one is distinct from the others. And this one is, is, is actually different than the other as well because this is actually the body of Jesus. It's members united together as one in which he dwells by the Spirit. So we just don't just become a Christian and change you know, our ideas in our heads. We become a Christian and we change our identity, we change our affiliation completely. What this means is that when somebody is baptized, as 1 Corinthians, if you look at chapter 12, verse 13, it says something happens when you're baptized. It says that we're baptized into Christ and into his body. It says specifically, we're baptized into his body, which is the church. This means that we're coming away from the world. We're coming away from the world of unbelief. We're coming away from those old friends. We're coming away from the old family. We're coming away from the old and joining anew a new world new friends new family new lord and we're actually being united we're we're actually something significant is happening you've all been to a wedding right sure we all have we all usually go to many of them throughout our, throughout our lives and you realize that at a wedding we all know something significant is happening right there is actually a transformation about to be, uh, take place something new is being created Before the covenant union, these two people walk up in front of everyone else. And they're two individuals with two different names, two different houses, two different bank accounts, and two separate lives. But something's about to change. Because after this covenant union, we now have, and they consummate their vows, we now have something different. We have now one person, right, with a new name. The wife loses the name and takes on the name of her husband. So we have one new name, one new person, one house, hopefully, that they share together, one bank account, usually, and united as one body. And we all understand that when this ceremony takes place, this covenant union takes place, that something new has been created. We have a new union. The same happens in baptism. This isn't just some ceremony that's like identification, say, hey, yeah, um, I want to be a volunteer. Christian is coming out from the world and coming into Christ, being baptized into a body and then being united. A new thing has been created. You're you're made you're united to one another. So your connection in Christ to one another, it isn't just that you guys have said, Yeah, you know, I, I believe the same thing, you believe the same thing. Why don't we join and make a club? It's called uh, we'll call it the Christian club. That, that's not it at all. When you read in scripture, we really have to understand that it's a high level of commitment. You become a new body. Something new has been created. And, it's the ba- and this is the basis upon which all of these one another commands are based. When he says love one another, this, this isn't an option. When he says to, to, to serve one another and care for one another and bless one another and uphold one another and greet one another, this is the reflection of a community that's based upon love that is deeply connected to one another. And this is where I want to help us to understand that the church's nature is that we are highly committed to one another and necessary for one another. My life is dependent on you. Your life is dependent on me and everybody else around us who's in the church. Because Jesus has so united us and so connected us and so made us members of one another that each member needs the other. And, he, and this, look what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12. Just like, hey, how much do you need your hand? How vital is it? I'm telling you, it's pretty vital. How about your arm? Yeah, same thing. How about your leg? Absolutely. How about you, my back? Right now, I need my back. Back. Yeah. Our bodies communicate to one another, and I'm feeling pain, and it spreads to the rest of my body, and everyone comes in to help it and to serve it because it's connect, vitally connected to one another. We could say, yeah, that's just theory. It's ideas about you being vitally connected. No, we're absolutely and we're vitally connected to one another, so we need one another. And what do we need one another to do? And this is where we shift into the church's mandate. The church's mandate. And when I use this word mandate... I want to distinguish it from mission. I think it's clear from Matthew 28 that the church's mission is to make disciples, to disciple the nations, to reach out to the world, for them to come in, be baptized into Christ and to his church, and to grow up into, into this body that we're referring to. However, when it comes to the church's mandate, I'm referring to the number one thing that we are to do toward one another. What are we mandated to do toward one another and you can summarize it in one word? Oh, just had a spasm. Love. <laughs> love. Love is the central thing. We are called fundamentally and centrally within the body to love one another. This is it. For example, 1st John 3:11 says, "For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Romans 13.8 puts it this way, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Then there's 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, he says, keep loving one another earnestly. Or as the apostle Paul said to Timothy, that love was the goal of all of his instruction. It's the goal. It's what we're after. The central mandate of the church for the body of Christ for us is to love, love one another. There's no denying it. And if let's just say we, you know, it's an interesting question that we ask. Okay, why? Why is that? I wonder why is it that love is the central, the central mandate of the church. Well, because God is love. Because God is love, and love manifests and expresses who God is. So we turn to one another, to the one another commands, and as we do, we find that throughout the scriptures, they are simply the tangible expression and application of this love. So, how do you love one another? Well, simple sometimes he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Holy cow, a holy kiss. All the way out to, to praying for one another, serving one another, ministering to one another, blessing one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, instructing one another, and we can go on and on, and throughout, there's one another. This is the love and the details. This is how this love is expressed. Just look at one of the greatest one another passages in the Bible, Romans 12. And here you'll see that love is the fountainhead from which all the commands flow. Romans 12, 9 begins by saying, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then he goes on to talk about how this, what this is to look like and how this is expressed. He sa- says things like, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in In spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And the reason why this is possible and why we can love one another like this is why? Because God has loved us like this and beyond. We love because he first loved us. We don't love, and we're not called to love, and throughout this series, you're not being called to love to earn God's love. You aren't being called to love and called to love in the details because God, he's an angry God, and somehow this love can appease him. We love because he's loved us and given himself for us. And he did this while we were yet his enemies. We were nasty. We rejected him. We neither glorified him nor thanked him. We we didn't even like him. We were his enemies, and yet he loved us. Our God is love. By his very nature, he's love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been loving one another sacrificially and continually throughout eternity. And now, here's what happens. We're brought into this fellowship. We're brought into union and communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know what the number one priority and mandate is? You join this fellowship, guess what? You're going to love, because this is what it's all about. The Father has been loving the Son and the Spirit forever and always will. The Son will, will and forever and always will love the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit always and continually loves the Father and the Son. And we've been brought into this fellowship and united, made a whole new body. And in this body, the number one mandate is to love. And isn't that so easy to forget? We can get caught up in all kinds of doctrine, right? To all kinds of side issues, all kinds of, of pet, pet things within the church. And we forget the number one fundamental mandate is to love. And now, it's not an ooshy-gushy-gooey love that, that just lets everything go by. No, it's a love that intensely love Because whenever you love someone, just look at your children, you do not want to see them do anything that would harm them. And so you, you invest in their lives, you sacrifice yourself for their good because you want their blessing and their benefit. That's what love does. It's just call, Love, look around and it says, what can I do for the blessing and benefit and good of those around me? That's what love does. And we're going to look at all the details and how this works itself out. But you know, before we can begin applying this, before we can begin moving forward, and know what this means in the life of the church, there's something I need to talk about. And this, this is my last point that I want to make. And it's this, that the church is, has a problem. And I think we've had a problem in knowing how to apply love. And I want, to, I want to, you to really pay attention to this, because what I'm about to say is, is very important, I think, for our progress. And I believe this because I think it's the very reason why so many of us have trouble applying what God has called us to do. And it's the very reason why many of you perhaps might even have trouble applying what we go through in this series. And here's what I mean. Let's say you hear the command to be hospitable to one another. And then you decide to step forward in obedience. But before you get started, you become afraid of the unknowns. Or the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? You begin to ponder the fact that you don't know what to say to your guests. Or you don't know how the time will actually go and what's going to actually happen and how it's going to unfold. So just thinking about the what-ifs and just thinking about the things that scare you, all of a sudden you decide not to do it and you pull back. Or let's just say you step forward and you actually do it but it was awkward and weird because you had no idea what to say or to do. You felt like you are there staring at each other. This is, this is fun. <laughs> or perhaps you thought that the people were judging you or judging your place or judging your situation or judging what you do or don't have. And as a result, what do you determine? You determine that you're never going to do that again, because that was dumb. You conclude that that isn't for you. You know, I just don't have the gift for that. Other people's are gifted. Me? No gifto. You know Or, or perhaps God, God, you can't expect me to do that because look at my circumstances. Look at the situation I am I'm in. You know what? Every, every single one of these excuses is doing nothing but pointing out a bigger problem. And that is that we don't understand how God has called us to grow and mature. We don't understand how it works. Because what should really happen is that once we strike out to do something new, we should, and let me and hear this, I want you to hear this, we should expect, expect to run into difficulties, to run into all kinds of stuff that we don't know, all kinds of stuff we can't do, all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of things that like trouble us and confuse us. And we should begin to start to see this as a good thing. Because when we know where we need to grow, then we can seek the help, the wisdom, and the guidance from God and others to move forward. We need to expect it to be this way. Don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect it to be obstacle-free. Don't expect to hear a command of the Lord and move forward and think, this is going to be great because God commanded me. And as you go, everything's just going to be peaches and cream and nice and smooth. It's not going to happen. And why is that? Because God has designed it so that you and I can't make progress on our own. Let's go back to what the church's nature is, the way it's designed. We're designed to need one another. God designs you and he designs me to have areas of neediness. We don't like that in our pride, do we? Neediness? I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I can do it on my own, right? I'll figure this one out. Just give me some time. No, no, you can't. No, you won't, because God doesn't want it that way. Everything, you know, I've ultimately ever failed at, it's because I went out to do something, I ran into some obstacles, I ran into failure, I ran into difficulties, and I quit. Anything I've ever succeeded at, I went out, I ran into obstacles, I ran into failures, I ran into problems, and I sought help. And then I went out again, and, and then I, I, I ran into more obstacles, more failure, more problems, and I sought help. And on and on it went. If I look at my life, that's the only progress I ever made. And the only the failure is when I, I misunderstand what it is that God has called me to be and do, and how it is he works. You know, when you hit a roadblock, when you hit a frustration or an obstacle, that is your cue to what? To seek the Lord. It's your cue to go to the Lord and say, Lord, please help me. Please guide me. Please please direct me. I don't know what I'm doing. You know that I'm an imbecile. That's good. That's a good place to be. I don't know what's going on. And then what you do is you step forward believing that the Lord will show you. Step forward in faith. Lord, I know you're going to show me. And then you go ahead and you seek wisdom. You seek counsel. You seek other body members and you ask. And as you do that, the Lord will, the Lord will grow you in wisdom and understanding and he'll mature you and you'll make great progress. You know, that, those roadblocks, that frustration, it is definitely not your cue to abandon the direction. If God calls you in this series to do something for other people, to one another in some way, he's calling you to do it. And I'll guarantee you, you're going to find a roadblock. And that does not mean quit. That means grow. That means mature. That means get wisdom, get counsel. You know, because if we don't press forward like this, if we don't understand how this works, we never will grow up. We never will make progress. We will stagnate. We'll stagnate our faith, and then we, a grave danger happens. Because whenever we accumulate teaching without applying, we stuff our heads with knowledge that does nothing but condemn us. Over the years, we just pile up our heads full of knowledge and nothing ever changes. We become that person who's always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Where you actually know the truth intimately because it's living out in your life. Or like James says, we're like that person who looks in a mirror and then turns away and forgets what he looked at. The only cure for this is to start applying what we know. But this also means understanding that as we apply what we know, that road, that path, that's never straight, and it's never easy, and it's laden with obstacles, it's laden with frustrations and difficulties. Because it's supposed to be. We should never think that we just pray, and then somehow God will make it happen. Oh, Father, please, please, please change this. Amen. God, nothing's changing. What's going on here? God says, I've placed you in a body. You have individual members, and each member does its part, and you're designed to serve and to love one another, and that's, you grow within that body. That body grows as you learn to love one another. They have what you don't have. You have what they don't have. You need each other. I always think of the the, the prayer that pray that God will change you in some way is like it's a little bit, and don't understand then the process from which God will change you, is a little bit of like Shazam theology. So you pray, oh Lord, change this area, and Shazam, you're waiting for, okay, I'm waiting for the dramatic change. It doesn't come. It's because we don't understand it, the process by which God will change us. The way common, God commonly works is that we pray we pray, oh, Lord, please, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's my frustration. And then we move forward and we expect, move forward expecting God to grow us, to show us, to, 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 to um, guide us as we seek out the people and their wisdom to help us. Let's just give an, I'll give you an example. Let's just say your baby cries and cries and cries at night, and you're done. You're maxed. You can't take it anymore. And so you're ready to, you're ready to um, throw in the towel. What do you do? Well, do you, just, do you pray, Oh, Lord, help me. Change this baby, please, now. <laughs> and it keeps on crying. All right, I'm going to start fasting. Oh, Lord, please change this baby now. And it keeps on crying. Oh, Lord, what's wrong with you? Why have you done this to me? And we start getting angry at God. But what we should have done is we should have prayerfully, we should prayerfully seek the Lord, and then expect Him to show us. But this is how we should pick up the phone and call somebody that we know in the body who's been through this before, that we know perhaps might have some wisdom, and say, "Hello, um, hey Sally, I have a question for you." I always use Sally, right? Once we have a Sally in the congregation, I have to stop using that. <laughs> yeah. can, you, can you please help me? Little Susie will not stop crying. She just cries and cries and cries, and I don't know what to do, and I'm at the end of my wits. Could you have any advice for me? Now, I, I'll tell you one thing. That lady is going to find grace and help in her time of need. She humbly went, and went through the process by what she needs to go through in order to receive the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding. And I'll guarantee you, maybe tomorrow or maybe through the night there will be some other issue. It doesn't mean it solves everything, but you will get guidance, you'll get wisdom, you'll get counsel, and you'll get help. And the Lord will use it to guide you and direct you and help you. And that person who does that, and lives like that, seeks the Lord and then seeks the body and expects God to work through the body to them, is going to find themselves growing and maturing and making fine progress. Wonderful progress. That person who's always running into obstacles, always running into trouble, always running into difficulty is either quitting, getting angry, getting frustrated. If they do not follow this process, you are going to find yourself either um, just trying to medicate Separate yourself from the situation or getting going crazy. Being so frustrated and angry that you end up doing things you shouldn't do. And then you find yourself, all you find yourself doing is, and in addition to that, getting very angry with God because he's not answering your prayers. And you find yourself incredibly frustrated and not moving forward. In fact, it feels like you're going backwards. This, I tell you, is important, centrally important. In this particular message, if, in this series, if, if we're going to see progress, we have to understand how progress works. And life is full of bumps and bruises, and you fall down, and you got to get back up again. But it's beautiful if you accept it, and you understand it, and you realize it, how it works. You want your child, who's an infant, to one day walk? And do you expect it to be bump-free? That you go from crawling, it's like, okay, today's it's just it's time to it's time to walk. And all of a sudden, boom, they get up and there go, just like that. Isn't that is not how it goes? I prayed and Shazam, there it is, walking. That's that's laughable, isn't it? That's a joke. That's not how it works. It starts off with a lot of wobbling, holding on to things and kind of letting go. And it's like, oh, there they go. Woo! and it makes progress one little step at a time with all kinds of bumps along the way that's the way it works in life it's not Shazam i'm walk i'm crawling now i'm walking no it's 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 little bits of progress and we have to approach it with a certain kind of mentality and attitude and understand that if we are going to grow if you are going to grow and when you hear things like be hospitable towards one another and if you immediately think in your mind all the reasons why you can't and you give yourself all kinds of excuses because it's difficult this that the other thing that is wrong the first thing you should do is what's the first problem you're running into what's your first difficulty your number one right away what is your problem with that because here's the trick you got to figure out what's the problem what's the question i need answered What's the problem? Then that's the problem that needs to get addressed. Hey, this is the situation I'm in. Could you please... I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. There's all kinds. There's more information out there in terms of books that the body has written, and there's people out there who've been through situations, that if we will begin to realize that the very first obstacle is the very first moment that you need to get help. That's all it means. It just means that you have to humble yourself and say, hey... This is a situation I'm not sure what to do. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, I've got some advice here. You try this or that. Try it. You make this much progress. Amazing. But now I have a new obstacle, a new problem. Hey, here's the new problem. Here's the situation. This and this. And this is wrong. Um, I'm not sure what to do. Can you give me advice? Yeah, do this. Okay, more progress. That's great. This is amazing. This is how it works. And every single situation that you're going to hear in terms of loving one another, I guarantee you there are challenges, there are difficulties, there are struggles, there are obstacles, there's hardships that are coming your way. What do you do? Please don't give up. Call Byron. <laughs> Call Byron. <laughs> <Please don't. laughs> He's busy enough you know, as it is. <laughs> I'm telling you what, this is a communal project, growing, maturing, developing, obeying God and what he's saying to do. The moment you step forward to obey, you're going to run into troubles and difficulties. And I don't care if it's child rearing. I don't care if it's, lo- it's loving one another in your home. I don't care if it's loving your neighbor or reaching out in evangelism. Everything you go to do, you're going to find areas that you bump into your weaknesses, and that simply means you, it's time to grow, folks. And that means it's time to seek help. And that's beautiful. If you get how it works and you accept it and you love the paradigm. But it's the very reason why so many people abandon and abate the growth process and sit on the shelf and never move forward. Because they're always running into these terrible, stupid obstacles. I'm praying to God and he's never removing them. I don't know what the problem is. I pray that God would help us to see that the, church, that the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in which we are individual, members individually, united as one, in which the spirit works. We desperately need one another. And that our mandate as this church is to love. Love is the central thing, loving one another. And then as we do that, we're going to find all kinds of deficiencies in ourselves that are to be found in the body and the people around you. May God grant us grace as we move forward to love and to grow in this way. Amen. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the body, that we are Christ Jesus. We belong to him. We've been baptized into him, into this body of the church. Oh, Lord, may we know your love and understand your love that we might love in the same way, in the details of life. And as we do, and as you show us and reveal to us where it is we fall short, our weaknesses, our failings, that that would just be our cue to seek the body and seek help, seek wisdom, seek guidance, seek direction that we might continue to grow. Oh, Lord. Bless this body that we would grow in love and be a beautiful body that's loving one another as you've loved us. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.